Hey listeners, welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thank you once again for joining us this week, your co-hosts, Valine Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Hey Val, how's it going? Oh, it's another week. Um, I just found out I'm headed to North Idaho and Washington <laughs> tomorrow, so surprise! Um, it is Sunday, listeners, um, when we're recording this, and it's been a whirlwind, and I do have to say I'm taking a bit of a social me- media break. Um, I look over and see my big study guide for the professional engineering exam, and I will continue to record podcasts and brainstorm with Catherine, but social media for the most part is going to be a little bit off limits, so just a heads up on that. So, sorry for you guys, you have to deal with me for the next couple months. (laughs) I think that's probably better in the long run. Um, But with that, I also wanted to do a little bit of a, maybe an apology or a gut check. Last week, I, after the episode aired, I got a message from a dear dear friend and mentor of mine saying that I had fallen victim to the media ploy and I misspoke a little bit last week um, in the sense that the media portrayed that the committee members on the education committee um, for the state of Idaho walked out of committee and that's what they did but they were headed to other commitments and so it wasn't like a walkout standoff thing and so I fell victim and jumped on that media bandwagon and I think I learned a valuable lesson for it but I just wanted to throw that caveat out there that they while I might disagree with some of their stances on things they didn't walk out out of um, disagreement they walked out to go take other commitments. So I apologize for misrepresentation and hope hope you can forgive me for that. But anyway. And, you know, just before we move on, I think that that's an important point that um, Millennial Ag is trying to bring to the forefront is that everybody does make mistakes. Um, that was through no fault of your own. That was just your understanding of the situation. And um, once you learned what the truth actually was, you you faced it head on and, and here we are. So, um I mean, I never held a grudge in the first place, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, thank you for that illustration of of what what social media, the media, politics, all of that stuff can do um, once you're dragged into it. So, um, moving on to this week's topic. So last week we talked with you guys about um, civility in agriculture and if it even exists, and um, we think it still does, but uh, we. You know, we asked for some input from you guys on how to rock the boat a little bit, some some contentious uh, guests that we might have, or, or adding a little bit of controversy to the podcast um, in the coming weeks, uh, you know, to, to diversify and to really put our money where our mouths are. And we have had some interest so far. We've gotten a few messages from uh, quarters that we did not expect, Um you know, that we are excited to work with a little bit more and bring on the show in the next few weeks. So be watching out for that. Um, this week, though, you get me and Valine again. <laughs> and we are going to continue to spin off of what we talked about last week. So last week, again, it was about civility in, in agriculture. And we started out that episode with talking about um, the couple of incidences that we had witnessed in politics and of civility being really um, uh, non-existent in those two instances. And so, you know, we got to talking about this week and me and Valine, as we always do, (laughs) got to shooting around ideas and discussing things and um, came to 
to what we want to talk about this week, which is the politicization of agriculture. Catherine, kind of to interrupt you, and I don't even know if I can pronounce politicization, (laughs) Um, but can you define for our um, listeners what that complicated, tongue-twisting word of politicization means. Yeah, so politicization is it is a tough word, I agree, and I even googled it to make <laughs> sure that it was a real word and not just something that I was coming up with. It is, in fact, a real word. Um, so that, to me, the politicization of agriculture is when a candidate and let's for right now for this episode for our topics and and purposes right now um presidential candidates is is what i'm referring to when they take an issue in agriculture or agriculture as a whole and use it to either buffer their platform or or to use agriculture as sort of a whipping boy somewhere um in blaming blaming for for some some issue or other that they think that agriculture is to blame or lifting them up if they're out in rural Colorado or rural Idaho or Utah and they want their votes. Oh, absolutely. And that's totally going to play into our conversation in just a few minutes. So the way that we got here, listeners, was that unless you've been um, hiding under a rock or actively avoiding social media, which we totally cannot blame you for if you have been doing that. (laughs) This is why Catherine has to inform me on some things occasionally now. Um, Last week, early last week, Um, presidential candidate and former New York mayor Michael Bloomberg, um, well, a video was surfaced about him um, talking about farming. And the video was in 2016. He talked about farming as though it was the easiest thing in the world. And um, honestly, it was like a 59-second clip. And I, I wasn't too concerned about what came out of that. But Agriculture on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, just absolutely lost their minds. What reminds me of that is, I think it was the Super Bowl last year and the and the corn syrup commercial yes. and Budweiser and just how how wound up we end up getting, not wrongfully, but how wound up we get about some of those comments that are made. Right, and it was the same sort of thing this time around. So Bloomberg... Uh, in this video four years ago was talking to a group of people talking about um, the evolution of economies and he started out with farming and how farming is essentially you know you dig a hole you put some corn in the ground cover it up put some water on it and boom corn pops up and you know um, any any old idiot in the world could do it and and as I say agriculture lost their mind on social media and hey Bloomberg I don't think that you could you know, you could run this, you know, people had pictures of arrays of three or four computers in their precision planting tractors or or any of the other numerous technologies that we use in agriculture that we know require a lot of gray matter. Um, but, you know, I think people sort of lost sight of, of, of uh, the end goal or what we really ought to be focused on in agriculture and instead just decided to take this guy who... Um, you know, is several generations removed from the farm. He has like $63 billion. Obviously, he has no idea what goes on in rural America on the regular. Um, and I, I was a little disappointed in agriculture's uh, reaction to that. And, and um, I actually ended up being a guest on a podcast last week with uh, Mr. Damian Mason, who if you don't know him, he is a great keynote speaker for agriculture um, and author and just all around no BS guy when it comes to production agriculture. He and I took on um, the whole Bloomberg thing. And as Valine and I were talking about this week's topic, um, I shared with her about my experience on that. And uh, 
you're not going to believe this, listeners, but we got into it a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) As much as we can really get into it. Seriously. So um, I made the point that, so among, among the point, among, um, you know, all of the, the vitriol being directed at Bloomberg last week, a lot of people were saying, you know, you got to vote Republican, you got to vote red. This is straight up going to fix everything that's wrong in agriculture and everything that's wrong in politics. And, um, you know, I know that this is probably going to be an unpopular opinion, especially in production agriculture, but I'm going to make the case that um, voting red or all Republican or whatever you want to do is not actually going to fix the kind of ignorance that uh, Mayor Bloomberg displayed last week um, because because he's just a symptom of a larger problem. And I, I totally agree with that, but from maybe from the beef production aspect of it um, and listening to people that have been serving on national committees lately, they have told me that they have been able to spend more time in the White House getting policy discussed um, on production, animal agriculture, specifically trade and the beef industry um, with Trump in office than they ever have. And that totally shocked me, listeners. That that put me back on my heels just a little bit because you guys know that Valine and I agree on pretty much everything and can at least find some common ground no matter where there is. But when I told her that I thought that um, Bloomberg or that President Trump didn't know any more about farming than Bloomberg does and doesn't care any more about rural America agriculturists um, beyond getting us to turn out at the polls for him in November, uh, she came back at me with that rejoinder and it... it it made me think just a little bit again. And I think maybe maybe um, from a different aspect or a, a point of view, it's it's the fact that agriculture a lot of times, and, and I this is me, um, is viewed as a business. And a lot of times it's viewed as a big business, which ends up going along the same lines in today's age as Trump or the Republicans rather than the Democrats. Right, exactly. And it's funny that, you know, you say that now because in several of our previous podcasts, we've talked about how, um, you know, some of the problems that come out of production agriculture because it's viewed as a way of life rather than a business. But, you know, you get you get our industry politicized and and instead it it is viewed as a business. And um, maybe those of us actually, you know, in the ground or on the ground in the soil and the tractors, milking cows, raising beef, whatever, um, you know, don't like that as much, even though we would argue that that's how it has to be viewed. So, well, when I, I'm adding on to that, I think, I think we view it as a business, but we have that large emotional tie to it that maybe President Trump in the Trump world with all his hotels and big um, companies and stuff, he doesn't maybe have the way of life and the the legacy and the the heart that maybe some of us do and we get more emotionally tied because it my grandfather homesteaded the area and we're trying to keep that legacy going whereas he's he can turn it on and off as far as a business and I think sometimes the emotional tie we know it's a business but the emotional tie makes it so we're almost have blinders on or that we we get more emotional and more jived at some of these political things that are made by Bloomberg or the Super Bowl commercials or whatever. Exactly. And I have to say in an election year, you know, that just becomes 
that just becomes even more apparent. And, um, you know, it, I think it depends on the election year. You and I, again, don't have as much, um, you know, political or, or um, election experience as, as, you know, people older than us, obviously, because, <laughs> because we're one of the younger generations. But um, I think, you know, definitely in 2016 and definitely in 2020, um, agriculture has become weaponized or has become politicized, um, you know, to be used as, as um, a, a ploy or a pawn for whoever's on a debate stage. Oh, absolutely. And it's, and I think maybe it's my naive self or maybe it's my youth and looking at things through rose um, colored glasses sometimes because I want to see the, I want to see the good in everybody. I want to see the good in Trump. I want to see the good in Bloomberg and, and where their point of view is coming from. But it gets really, really frustrating when these politicians or whoever, while they want to say that they have their constituents in their best interest, and that's that's what a po- politician should be, is somebody representing me at the local, at the state, at the national level, but they, they tell me what I want to hear. They pat me on the back and they say, we'll make sure agriculture is taken care of when we get, when we get to the state house. Just, just vote for me. Or when we get to the Capitol, we'll, we'll just make sure that, that you're taken care of. And, and that doesn't sit well when it doesn't happen. But I do have to say that Trump, as much of an arrogant a-hole as, <laughs> as he has been, he has, he has stood behind what he said he was going to do in the elections. And you got to give him some brownie points for that. Um, yeah, we can, we, we can talk about that. <laughs> Let's go back, though, to your point about politicians saying, yeah, farming's going to be number one, ag's going to be number one. As soon as I get to the state house or, or to Congress, you just vote for me. And that, to me, is, is a very obvious uh, technique that they use to get people to vote for them. Because what do they say to the next person in line next to you who wasn't from production agriculture, who cares the most about education or about health care or about child care, about family leave? Or know, about global warming or about... Pick your issue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I mean, politicians are trained to look you deep, deep in the eyes, give you a soul-searching look and say, Valine, it's really nice to see you today. And they'll grip your hand and they'll shake it like a man and then they'll say, vote for me and move on to the next guy. And they'll figure out what the next guy, what makes him tick and promise him whatever it, whatever it takes to get his vote. And I... You know, I don't know if this happens in other industries, but because this is millennial ag, because Valine and I both come from production agriculture and because that's what we care about and want to talk about, the fact that agriculture gets politicized and or weaponized during election years um, and then the fallout that that causes really, really bothers me. Um, because, because, okay, yeah, President Trump has done a lot of things that he said he was going to do in his first term. He's gotten them done. But let's talk about agriculture in Trump's first term. He has upended, um, you know, several trade agreements and caused a lot of trade wars to go on um, between American agriculture and and other other, um, countries, other actors. And it's caused a lot of hurt in the industry. And so we've ended up with aid instead of trade. And farmers are getting paid by the government rather than in their mailbox. And that's something that sticks in my craw. but but I think that you have maybe a little bit of a different viewpoint. Yeah, and I think I think he might have like upset some of the trade agreements that have been in place 
and it and there was initial hurt and scare and and what stinks about agriculture too is just by that fear of what that caused the markets crashed hmm that's a really really good point point. and then but we're seeing so that happened maybe two or three years ago but we're seeing now the canadian trade deal the mexico trade deal and some of the direct trade the china china markets open for the beef industry it wasn't open before he became president and and it takes time and it takes patience but i think the fear of agriculture or the fear of something makes markets volatile and that's that can be a whole nother topic for another day but I think we see a lot of implication by fear rather than what's actually going on. And we're able to ship beef now to China. Or the swine fever, which sucks for China, has I think is going to have some rebound effect on some of the hog markets in the U.S., which weren't the case before Trump came into place. And like I said, the National Cattlemen's Association specifically has sat across from Trump on multiple things and make agreements and talk through some of this trade war stuff far before they were before he was president so fair enough val and and point well taken um and and i think that we've got you know lots of material here just from the last few seconds <laughs> um to be able to discuss another in other episodes but going back to um the politicization and weaponization of agriculture in america um you know on on a political stage i think i mean my own personal opinion is that it's dangerous and the reason for that is because um, America has long had a national policy of food security as national security. The United States Department of Agriculture was um, developed and implemented during Lincoln's time to make sure that Americans had enough food to eat in times of plenty and in times of, of well, stress too, or, or, or war or conflict or whatever. And so I think... Um, you know, when it comes to using agriculture as a political ploy or or technique or whatever you want to call it, I think that both sides would be be well well instructed to consider what they're really doing, um, because you know you can say a lot of things on a debate stage or you know during a campaign that then you have to answer for later on. And I think that the number one goal should always, always, always be the safety and security of the American people. And and um, agriculture being weaponized and politicized by outside forces such as politicians only serves to deepen the divides that we are already so good at creating ourselves. Oh, I can't agree more to that statement. And it, and it stinks that agriculture which affects every single person every single day of their life. Um, whether they realize it or not. Whether they realize it or not. You're eating fruits and veggies, grains. You're driving a car. You're, you're wearing clothes. You're, you're brushing your teeth. They, affect, they, are, they are either natural resources or, or based on agriculture that's farmed to some extent. It, if, it may not be cattle. It may not be animals. But agriculture is at the at the base of ag- absolutely everything we do on a daily basis, and I don't think by hanging you you've obviously know where my viewpoints are politically now. Um, but when when you hang your hat at the end of the day, why is this a divide of political parties and and big production animal agriculture, big production agriculture, yeah, tends to lean red. But that seems to be where we get the most work done or the most benefits. But why 
Why can't we have these conversations authentically with both sides of the both sides of the spectrum in the middle, up, down, left, right, all around? Why is it weaponized? Why is it a scapegoat? Why is it something that that's always an afterthought? When they get up on that political stage, it's not the first thing they bring up, which it's frustrating from an industry that I live and die by on a daily basis, but it's not the first thought. It's an afterthought to get to get those last few votes, to get the last people, and to actually see somebody take action on those means a lot to me. But why isn't this an honest, upfront conversation? Well, you know, you asked the hard question. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with... Um, well, with several things. Let's say, you know, most people these days are at least three generations removed from the farm, if not four or five. Um, so, you know, a, a very far, far cry from from their ag- from their agrarian roots, which is understandable. I mean, I don't think about what my banker does day in and day out, and I just trust him to do his job. Um, but also that, um, you know, it it serves as a way to differentiate yourself from another candidate or from another political party and if you can be radical enough and come up with a crazy enough idea or something you know that will rally the troops on social media who will turn out for you at the polls in november um you know it's a convenient it's a convenient shtick it is and i was um in my little gym at the apartment the other day and somebody had msnbc on and before i plugged my headphones in to get my few miles on the treadmill before i started my hectic day they talked about i can't even tell you which candidate it was but she took to she took kind of a very low-key neutral stand and, and didn't throw anybody under the bus for a change and i was like man that's pretty cool and they said her her political rankings dropped after that Hmm. So it's almost, I mean, it's it's an awful lot like social media or media or, you know, finding attention in whatever way you need to find it these days. It's the more, the more offensive rhetoric you have, the more divisive you are, the louder you are, the more pitched you are, the more attention you get. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and that's, that while Trump has done what Trump has done to benefit ag, that's what I disagree with him on a lot of the time is being is being so this is what I'm going to do and I'm just going to do it and full steam bulldoze ahead, which has caused a lot of implications, I think, throughout the United States, um, whether it's agriculture, whether it's the political parties themselves on I'm right, you're wrong. We can't even be we can't even disagree within the parties anymore without saying, no, you shouldn't vote for them anymore. Right. It, it has become completely divisive. You're either on one side or the other. And if you're not, um, you know, you're obviously a traitor to whatever party, faction, industry, blah, 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 you're supposed to be a part of mm-hmm. while taking that stance. So, listeners, that's that's where we're at this week. That's what we've had to consider and contend with a little bit. Um, Valley and I have come down on a little bit different sides of something. And, and... You know, we're considering what it means for for us, for American agriculture as we move forward in this presidential year. Um, and 
and looking after a president is elected, what's going to happen to American agriculture? Are we going to be under that laser focus? Are we going to be remembered? Do we want to be remembered? What are your thoughts? What do you think about this issue? And and where can we go from here? This And listeners, this isn't going to be the last week we talk about politics. To be honest, we're going to be talking about politics until Millennial Egg dies. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which we have no intention of being anytime soon. <laughs> exactly. Because because of the, the impacts politics has on ag and ag has on politics, this is a topic that causes a lot of grief, causes a lot of angst, causes a lot of joy, causes a lot of emotions. And those are the topics we're hitting. Absolutely. We're- and this, this, you... You know, listeners, we promise we're never going to tell you who to vote for. We're never going to tell you what to think. But we are going to talk about these kinds of hard issues. And and, and we're going to tell you to think. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what we're trying to do, too. We're trying to muddle our way through this, trying to tease out the threads of, of what really resonates with us and what we can't abide to stand on. So um, we're going to leave it there for this week. We'd love to hear from you, as always. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Millennial Ag. You can email us, Catherine at MillennialAg.com. Catherine is K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E. And, um, you know, we hope you have a great week, and we're looking forward to your feedback. Thank you, listeners.